22 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Amy Hill. Molly's Ghosts. Samantha Gilligan. Katie Harcastle. Paul Carter. Tony Ahamanda Squire. Kelly Rasick. Kelly Calgar. Sirka. R. O'Shea. Crystal Kelly. Mercedes Barrios. Georgina Ann. Emma Turton. Morgan McGann. Nikki Richter. Amanda Kirsten. Matt Osborne. Ninja Pop-Tart. And Caroline Robinson. Thank you so much for being our Patreon subscribers. We love you. We appreciate you every damn day. We sure do. And our film review this week. Our film review is Beyond the Gates. Beyond the Gates was released in 2016. It has 5.2 out of 10 on IMDb and 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a synopsis? Yes, please. In the wake of their father's mysterious disappearance, two estranged brothers, responsible Gordon and reckless John, reunite to sift through the contents of his stubbornly anachronistic VHS rental store. Among the inventory, they discover an interactive VCR board game, which their father viewed just before he vanished. Intrigued, the boys pop in the tape, press play, and soon discover that far from an ordinary game, the video is a portal to a nightmarish alternate reality. So Daniel, before we start with this film review, I'd like to ask what your thought process was when you chose this film for our review this week. My thought process, the my thought process was that the synopsis on Amazon Prime was much shorter than that, and it just said that they found a basically found a haunted VHS game, and I was like, well, that's quite a good premise. It's like a, a adult horror version of Jumanji. I can get behind that. So I was like, I want to see it. Did this film live up to your expectations? No. Was this film truly awful? No. Was this film a fifty p movie club film? Yes. <laughs> um, I The more I've thought about this, the more I think I might have missed something because quite a lot of people enjoyed it for what it was. I found it very hard to enjoy because it was just really badly done. However, I do think that Responsible Gordon and Reckless John sound like two kids' characters. Yes, they definitely do. <laughs> to teach children valuable moral lessons in life. Yeah. There was just so much wrong with this film that it really made it hard to enjoy Even the bad moments for me. We did a lot of laughing at this film. That is not what you want from a horror film. Or even, I guess it was more like a a spooky adventure movie, really, more so than a horror. It's it's exactly what it should have been, was a grown-up version of Jumanji. Did it meet that mark? No, it did not. It had a small budget, I checked. The budget was like 300 grand. So I get that they didn't have the capacity to maybe do what they wanted to do. However, I like to live by the rule of just because you can does not mean that you should. This film was a should not have for me. (laughs) I want someone to do it better because I really feel like there's a lot of potential in this idea. The problem is, and it wasn't even the the visual effects. There was a moment in the visual effect where the head blew up and it panned back to the blown up head and you could see the nail that they'd used for the visual effect, which I thought was a little bit poor. Um, (laughs) But actually it wasn't the visual effects and the things that would have cost budget. It wasn't that wasn't what let this down. There was just a complete lack of on-screen relationship between the supposed two brothers. The lack of dynamism between them was actually astounding. It was astounding. 
It was alarming was at it, points, I thought. Just an overall lack of energy from anybody, any of the main characters has really made it really hard to watch. And then there was little errors, which just, I don't care whether your budget is £300,000, £300,000,000 or zero. Edit your damn films. There is a point in this where they see a dark figure in the corridor, <laughs> which is could have been quite scary. Didn't make me jump because we were too busy laughing, but it, it might have made you jump. Uh, and then it cut back to the hallway to show you that it disappeared. However, the actor shadow was still in shot and it moved out of shot and it there's no way that was nobody can tell me that was an intentional bit of comedy because that is not the kind of film it is that's just lazy editing like you could see oh it just ruined any attempt of it and there was so many little bits like this that were really shoddy loads of jokes which were not funny and didn't and didn't and didn't even land but not not even just not funny like there a joke would be made and there would be that sort of almost laughter track pause in the dialogue and dad and I were like oh was that a joke oh was it a joke oh it's obviously a private joke between the two characters but um we don't know what that private joke is because there's no exposition so this this joke has completely fallen flat because nobody has thought that maybe the audience won't understand this joke and uh, as two brothers with a strained relationship which I think was what the film was trying to imply I, I it was just bizarre it was the script was bizarre the acting was bizarre. Everything was strange. One of the brothers has a girlfriend who mysteriously disappears for about half the film. There's no explanation as to where she is, even though she is a pivotal part of this exploration trying to rescue the dad. She just, they obviously just didn't have any lines for her. So just decided, let's just not have, where is she? There's no explanation as to where she is. She's just gone. No, I, I'm struggling to see the redeeming features of this film, to be honest with you. Have, I've got a brother. My relationship, thankfully, is very good with my brother. However, I feel if it got to a point where it would be strained, there would still be some kind of chemistry between us. It would probably be anger and hatred. There was nothing. Mm, even if they were scrapping on screen, or even if every time they spoke, you could see that they hated each other, that would be more more enjoyable to watch, I think, than what we did have to subject ourselves to. Maybe I missed the point. Maybe I missed the point. I, I, I do like as well when you have a low-budget horror film that has the ability to laugh at itself or laugh at horror tropes. If they had done that with this film, it probably would have been good. But it was so earnest, but so not good that I couldn't even enjoy it for being a low-budget horror film. It would take two good actors to make this film okay. I don't feel like it needed a bigger budget. I thought actually the stuff they probably spent their money on, they did reasonably well. That wasn't what let this film down at all. (laughs) Which is frustrating. (laughs) Yeah. Because usually with low-budget horror films, you end up with kind of shoddy CGI work or puppetry or whatever but this it wasn't bad it just it was the things like leaving the shadow of the of the actor that was playing the jump scare like come on that's just come on and there there was a great moment where one of the actors one of the brothers is looking at a sheet of paper and writing appears on the sheet of paper and it's so badly edited that we see the writing appear and literally five seconds later you see his reaction which is a very pantomime i'm so shocked at this reaction bizarre so strange just a really really badly written i thought just i can't even i can't believe i wasted an hour and a half of my life watching that film i i i feel bad because i should have kept it for dave dave Keane <laughs> yeah. would have loved this for 50 movie club 
would have loved it they also forgot the the part of horror films where because i thought at a haunted vhs game was a great idea genuinely like yeah. we have one of those old dvd we don't have a haunted one thankfully thankfully but we have one of those spooky dvd games called atmosphere where you put in the dvd and everybody has to like follow the instructions and it is really fun it's really really fun in this film you you kind of they jump to the conclusion that their dad has been abducted by this video game from nothing. They literally open the game and go, this must be where dad is. What? You you haven't seen anything. You haven't even tried to play the game. Why are you making this bizarre? I just can't. I'm I'm ranting now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I'm ranting. I'm a terrible person. <laughs> so what would you score this film? I want to give it a zero. I want to give it a zero. But, I'm, but you know what? I'm going to give it a one because I thought... It, there were ideas in it that were really good ideas other than that it wasted my time and i'm angry i'm gonna give it one and a half i think i can't again i can't remember what i letterboxed it which i really need to start writing this down before we start recording but it entertained me for the wrong reasons and part of me just feels like i've missed what they were trying to do because it was such a like there was a fairly decent reception to it when we said we were watching it mm. So maybe I'm just missing the point, but for me, it just it just felt like I was watching a 50p movie club movie, which is good. <laughs> it has its place. So one and a half for me. But its place is not here. Which brings us to our story this week. Okay. Now, among our listeners, we have a divide. Some people love mystery stories, some people hate them. So what I've done for this week's episode is it is an episode in two parts. So we have a bit of a mystery story in the beginning and then a ghost story towards the end to keep everybody happy. Are they related or are they just... They are related. (laughs) Of course, not just a random ghost story thrown in for good measure. They are indeed related. Okay. What do you know about the Bermuda Triangle? Um, It is a musical instrument played in the Caribbean. Uh, I think it's a percussion instrument. A cursed percussion triangle. <laughs> Every time you ding it, yeah. a plane disappears. Yeah, no, I think it's an area around Bermuda where lots of disappearances have taken place. At its very base level, yes, it is. When I was a child, like many other children, I had some pretty irrational fears. I would pore over encyclopedias and wonder why no one else was panicking about acid rain. I had visions of green-tinged raindrops pelting from the skies and instantly dissolving everything they touched. It baffled me why it wasn't a bigger concern. I wondered about quicksand and whether it really was just like the movies. The children's books of strange and weird stories would always have a section about mysterious disappearances. I vividly remember a story of a man who ran a marathon and as he approached the finish line he just slowly faded from view until he disappeared completely. Yet another bizarre concern to add to my list. In all of these books of strange and mysterious happenings, there was one place that came up time and time again. And that was the Bermuda Triangle. It was the 5th of December 1945, and five Avenger torpedo bombers took off on a routine training mission. The Avenger had a range of a thousand miles, and was a robust and reliable submarine killer. The mission left Fort Lauderdale at ten past two on a clear and crisp winter's afternoon. Four hours later, all five planes had vanished. The planes had been checked before the mission and the weather conditions were perfect for flying. The mission was led by Lieutenant Charles Taylor, an experienced pilot 
who had led numerous training missions in the past. A distress signal was picked up by one of the pilots with the message, We can't find West. Everything is wrong. We can't be sure of any direction. Everything looks strange, even the ocean. The compasses on the plane had completely malfunctioned, and they could not figure out their direction. Twenty minutes later, a final transmission was heard from Lieutenant Taylor. We can't make out anything. We think we may be about 225 miles northeast of base. It looks like we are entering white water. We are completely lost. And then nothing. No further transmissions. A naval rescue plane was deployed to search for the missing fleet. Twenty minutes later, it too had vanished. No wreckage was found. In the official report of the incident, the Navy reported that we are not even able to make a good guess at what happened. The events of that fateful day sparked a legend that would shape the way we see the skies and the seas of the Bermuda Triangle forever. The Bermuda Triangle covers an area of 1.5 million square miles. It stretches between Miami, Bermuda and Puerto Rico. While later accounts are more famous and well-known, the mysterious happenings within the Bermuda Triangle were first recorded by none other than Christopher Columbus himself. In 1492, Columbus and his crew noted many strange occurrences while they sailed through the Bermuda Triangle. Firstly, and probably the least strange, the sea was much rougher here than on any other part of their journey. They were met with ferocious waves that were increasingly difficult to navigate. The compasses malfunctioned. Columbus logged strange lights that hovered both high in the air but also hovered just above the water. He also allegedly witnessed what he described as a bright light or a fire streak through the sky and land beneath the waves. On December the 4th, 1970, Bruce Gurnan piloted a Beechcraft Bonanza, a single-engine aircraft. He took off from Andros Island in the Bahamas and headed to Florida. On board were Gurnan, his father and his business partner. Gurnan had made this flight numerous times and it usually took him an hour and a half to complete. The weather conditions were favourable and all was normal. As Gurnan gained altitude, he noticed that there was a small dark cloud ahead and it was growing bigger and bigger at an alarming rate. It's important to note at this point that it wasn't perspective. It wasn't growing because Gurnan was flying towards it. To him it almost looked like a mass of dark cells multiplying rapidly and Gurnan had no choice but to fly right into it. He had never seen anything like it but they passed through the cloud unscathed and continued on their journey. Further along, Gurnan saw another cloud in the distance, another black mass that was steadily growing in size, but much bigger than the last. Again, he would have no option but to fly right through it and hope that he emerged unscathed like the last time. He was wrong. The cloud was pitch black on the inside, like the darkest of nights kind of black. There was no sunshine piercing through the mass. There was no rain. There was no stormy winds. It was just dark and silent inside this cloud, 
Gernon had never seen anything like it. Flashes of blinding white light began to light up the darkness. Gernon had seen lightning, and lightning storms countless times, but this was not lightning. He continued through the cloud for 30 minutes, seeing no way out and thinking that he never would get out. When the blinding lights flashed, he tried to make out what was around him and he realised that he was flying through some sort of cylindrical formation that was about a mile wide. At the end of the formation, straight ahead of him, he began to see the light of day and he focused on it, desperate to get out. The compasses on the plane's dashboard began to spin wildly and with creeping dread he realised that the light at the end of the tunnel was getting smaller and smaller. This cloud was beginning to close up around him. Gernon held his breath. He knew that he would be lucky to come out of this alive. The control panel of the plane was flashing wildly in front of him and he realised that he no longer had control over it. He shut his eyes and suddenly felt his face bathed in sunlight. The plane felt weightless in his grip and he was out. He regained his composure and radioed ground control to help him find out his position. Ground control responded and the voice sounded confused. Gernon, we read you, but you're not on our radar. It was like his plane was invisible. The static of the radio burst through the air again. Gernon, we've established that you were in Miami airspace. He stared at the radio. The voice seemed to echo his feelings. Shock and disbelief. There was absolutely no way that Gernon could be in Miami. It was physically impossible. Gernon had done this trip countless times and it took 90 minutes on a good day. Today, he had reached his destination in 47 minutes. The maximum speed of the aircraft that Gernon was piloting meant that it was impossible for it to complete the distance in that space of time. The plane just simply didn't have the engine power to do it. Gernon landed the plane safely in Miami and set about trying to understand what had happened and how he had completed the journey in 40 minutes less than was possible. He checked the fuel tank of the plane. He had used considerably less fuel than was needed for the journey. So we're going to pause there. Okay. There are countless stories like this of the Bermuda Triangle. Most of them end up in ships or planes just disappearing completely. And if you look for the Wikipedia entry of like incidents, lists of incidents in the Bermuda Triangle, you can see them all there. But I decided that we would go with Gernon's story today because it is interesting. So what are your thoughts? I'm baffled. To be honest with you, I'm absolutely baffled. How is it even possible to do a 90 minute flight in 47 minutes and use less fuel? (laughs) I mean, that sounds like some groundbreaking tech he's got on his little plane there. (laughs) Yeah, this is kind of like a standard little little one engine plane. So it's not a big, powerful monstrosity of a plane. This is a personal plane and they're not renowned for being remarkably powerful. I mean, there might be... You might, on a freak day, you might be able to knock like five, ten minutes off of a journey time, save a little bit of fuel. Like it Depending is possible, on yeah. winds and stuff, yeah. But to halve, almost halve the journey time and then almost half the fuel use. I mean, 
if he is using some kind of tech that, that's allowed him to do that, I'd suggest he markets it very quickly because he'd be very rich. Definitely. <laughs> I just I don't I don't understand. There's not. I mean, even if you're the most logical, grounded on earth, you know, science through and through, hundred like kind of like your dad. I don't know how you dispute this. Like, I don't think it is disputable. Disputable. Like I, I think the reality is is that this man knocked forty minutes off his journey, and we don't really understand how it happened. And this this case in particular, I mean, the majority of the cases in the Bermuda Triangle, scientists are like, I've got some theories for you, but you know, they're they're pretty pretty explainable. This is the one where people go, um, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. I mean, did he just fly straight up into space and then drop back down again? He, the first cloud he encountered was 1,000 feet in the air and the second cloud was 11,000 feet in the air. So the answer to that question is no. No. I just don't understand. I just, it's, it's so baffling. Like the Bermuda Triangle is baff, baffling enough to me to the point where I kind of want to fly through it. And the thing is <laughs> with the Bermuda Triangle is that there are thousands of flights and ships and whatever that pass through the Bermuda Triangle absolutely fine. You know, so do you want to do some theories because that would help us shape our ideas a little yeah. bit better? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because I have haven't the faintest. I don't understand. <laughs> Theory number one: It is just a naturally dangerous place for both sailing and flying. Storms and unpredictable weather anomalies mean that pilots and crew members encounter situations that they wouldn't ordinarily encounter on the sea or in the skies. There are also really deep trenches beneath the sea in the Bermuda Triangle, which kind of makes it understandable that wreckages might not be found. Also, another thing that I didn't really understand, but scientists have found that around the Bermuda Bermuda Triangle, there is something called air bombs, which create massive waves and winds that are not manageable by aircraft. I feel like that is probably a really reasonable explanation. I feel like without knowing for sure whether this is the correct technical term, I feel like that gulf of water between Florida and the tip of South, top of South America, I think it's Venezuela, I'm not sure. I feel like that is the true, what's the word, two-face. I wanted to use a more classical example, but you know, two-face from, uh, like from Batman. Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> Jekyll and Hyde, that was the one I was looking for, of, of sea areas. Two-face work too, though. Yeah, uh, because... You know, I think it's both, it can be really idyllic, but then also if you look at like hurricanes and, and tropical storms and stuff like that, there's loads of them that happen in the Caribbean continuously. They have earthquakes and yep. various other things, whereas obviously it is all, also a very idyllic location. So I figure like that probably is logical. It definitely explains a lot of the ships disappearing, I think. Yeah. I struggle a little bit with the planes. Why? Black boxes. I guess, yeah, in modern times there would be gps coordinates and stuff yeah. i mean you just don't know that because there's so there's so many existing natural phenomena that we don't fully understand yet i guess it's also because my my brain physically has seen storms at sea i haven't been at sea but you've seen a seen them out at sea and they haven't even been that strong and they've looked terrifying so i feel yeah. like my brain can comprehend why a storm would be terrifying at sea if it was really bad and why it could cause shipwrecks like i understand that my brain understands that what i think i haven't thankfully haven't flown for a really bad storm so i don't have quite the same kind of and you can't you can't see a bad storm can you like you see the lightning which is you know terrifying but also quite pretty and you see dark clouds but you don't see the 
Like when when a sea is whipped up in a frenzy, you see it, don't you? Whether it's like a, a minor storm or a, a big storm, you see the waves, you see how powerful they are, mm. and you can see that from land. You look at a storm in the sky, you can feel the wind and stuff like that, but it doesn't. I don't think you your brain can contemplate it unless you've been through a storm in the sky, and I don't really want to do that. I was flying one time. I don't know where I was flying to. Maybe Paris, like somewhere relatively or maybe it was portugal i don't remember and i we i was on a plane on my own and we flew through a storm and it was obviously only a minor storm but it was really scary it was really scary all i could think about in my brain was the opening sequence of fucking lost and i was like that's it i'm gonna be sucked out through the back of this plane and i'm gonna land on an island with a load of polar bears inexplicably (laughs) but it was really scary like people you know they did the whole like fasten your seatbelts we're gonna go through some turbulence and the turbulence was like dramatic like lifting off your bum lifting off the seat turbulence and only lasted a couple of minutes but people were screaming and i was just sit, sitting there going great brilliant i'm going to be one of the few people in the world who dies on an airplane great this is not how i wanted to go out i thought you were going to say you were thinking of final destination i was like that would have been my dramatic kind of no thing. i went for, i went straight to lost okay good well yeah. at least you survive in your version of it oh i do yeah 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 <laughs> My, my world is centred around me, so I'm obviously <laughs> going to survive the plane crash, miraculously. <laughs> Theory number two. There is magnetic phenomenon which causes electrical storms, resulting in the interference of like compasses and various other electrical equipment on planes. I feel like I'm very unequipped for this episode in terms of my scientific brain is not very good. So... I'm going to say yes, because it sounds plausible to my GCSE barely paid attention science knowledge. I watched a thing, on a BBC thing, and this scientist was talking about it. And he believes there is like magnetic fields really deep down in the ocean around the Bermuda Triangle that we just don't understand. And it's doing shit to planes and equipment and whatever. We just don't understand it yet. Also, interestingly, the day that Gurnan flew, there was an exponential increase in solar flares which apparently interfere with the magnetic field of the Earth, which might be linked to it. How interesting is that? Mm, that is interesting. Solar flares is another thing that I'm just like, oh, yeah, it must be solar flares without actually having any oh, idea yeah. what solar flares are or how they impact us at Listen, all. I saw a, <laughs> uh, on the video there was a picture of the sun with little explosions happening on it, so that's all I need to know about solar flares. Fair. Okay, that's it. That's all I need. Okay. Theory number three. Aliens. Full stop. That's it. That's what I got for you. Yes, I believe. There is a an ink, a quite a large number of light anomaly sightings in and around Bermuda, mm. the Bermuda Triangle, rather. So, I wonder if it could possibly be one, two, and three combined. <laughs> it's just a bit of everything. Well, because if there's like, if it's well known for like outrageous storms, are those outrageous storms caused by a magnetical interference? And does the fact, does the culmination of those two things make it easier for aliens to enter the atmosphere? Listen, you're making links here that scientists are, it's going to blow their mind. Exactly. If there's any scientists listening, they're going to be like, whoa, somebody call NASA quick. I mean, if, 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 if aliens were regularly visiting this planet, which obviously I believe they are, it makes sense that they would do it in such a way where stuff happens that we can't explain. And there are a huge amount of reports of weird light anomalies in the sea like under the water and stuff so i don't know man how deep are those you know those trenches might be portals to another planet 
or to Atlantis. There, there are a number of people. So I watched uh, the BuzzFeed Unsolved episode about Bermuda and they have a whole theory. Well, Ryan had a whole theory about Atlantis and how Atlantis was in the Bermuda Triangle and was sucked under the sea and all these planes and ships and everything that disappear, they're actually being sucked into Atlantis. Wow. I mean, that's really good, but I, I thought Atlantis was a Greek thing. Yeah, and I thought that was even that was pretty far-fetched even for you. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Well done, Ryan. That's, that's probably the first time you've managed to out Daniel me. Theory number four. Owls. <laughs> that wasn't really a th- real theory, was it? It's always a real theory. Owls <laughs> are the answer to everything. We need to get some merch done with, like, <laughs> it's always owls. Yeah. Uh, <gasps> it's never owls, actually. No. No, Although yes. I'm quite interested to hear you explain how owls fit into this. How do owls ever fit into anything? They're just the, the go-to science explanation with owls. You know, if there was like a full-scale Independence Day alien invasion, you know the government would be like, uh, everybody calm down, it's just owls, while you're literally <laughs> looking at a spaceship hanging in the sky. It's just owls, don't worry. I feel that this may actually be a legitimate theory because if lots of owls were migrating from one Caribbean island to another Caribbean island, they could fly into the engines of planes, bring them down. The planes could then fall into the water at the point where the trench is and the wreckages could go into the trenches and not be discovered. So it's owls. That's it could be owls. Definitely. I don't know how many Caribbean owl species there are. Or migratory Caribbean <laughs> owl species at that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I've got another story for you because I think while the Bermuda Triangle is fascinating, it's very likely to be non-paranormal. I agree. But my question to you, which is entirely rhetorical, would be if it is entirely non-paranormal, where else in the world do these things combine? Because it must happen elsewhere. It can't just happen in one location. And if it does happen in just one location, like that's... Paranormal. That's pretty pretty crazy. (laughs) Yeah. So I wonder if it's mag if it's magnets, does it happen over the poles? I love it. if it's magnets. It's just big magnets <laughs> yeah. under the sea. If it's magnetic, does it happen over the poles? There was some theory about how true north and magnetic north overlap perfectly within the Bermuda Triangle, but I didn't understand what any of that oh, meant. That, so. that, ooh, that's actually quite interesting. Yeah, that is quite an interesting thought. I wonder if that is what if that is the set of circumstances that combine to create those magnetic fields. That's not a bad theory for my base knowledge of science. That does make sense to me. I know very little about science because it never... I mean, I, I like it, but I wasn't very good at school. So I, I don't remember like, any of these things. I feel like it would be happening elsewhere. I feel like there would be other hotspots. Probably. And maybe there is, but they just don't show their activity in the same way as in the Bermuda Triangle. You know, because shipwrecks, planes miss, going missing, all that stuff. It, I mean, that's newsworthy information you Mm. know and there's a huge loss of life as well so maybe it's just not being recorded in the same way elsewhere who knows Mm. okay so in my hunting for stories about the bermuda triangle what i did stumble across was the fact that the island of bermuda itself is incredibly haunted well that adds a paranormal aspect to everything and maybe it's bermuda itself maybe it's just bermuda is causing all the bermuda itself is a life force Mm. And it's just sucking in all these ships and planes. Are you ready? No. It's easy to be swept up in the Bermuda Triangle lore. Although most scientists posit that there is nothing remotely sinister afoot, just unpredictable weather conditions. What this does mean, however, 
is that there are stories that get swallowed up by the triangle. Stories of ghosts and creatures of the night. What I learned in my research for this episode is that Bermuda itself is very, very haunted. There are five very famous ghosts that you may run into on the island of Bermuda. There is Captain George Drew, the pirate who renounced his wicked ways and became an upstanding citizen. Today you may hear him playing his harpsichord in the old rectory. There is Laura Cox, the ghost of a disgruntled gardener. Laura was an avid horticulturalist who lived in an old house on the beautiful Orange Valley Road. Her irate ghost is regularly seen pointing angrily to a spot where her beloved flower garden used to be. There is a legend in Bermuda of Old Morgan, except Old Morgan is not a ghost as we know it. Old Morgan is a cloud. In the summertime, a long, low-hanging black rain cloud will hover over Bermuda from time to time, and the locals refer to it as Old Morgan. The story goes that Old Morgan was a whaleboat captain, whose boats were ransacked by smugglers in 1775. He vowed that he wouldn't rest until the criminals or their descendants were brought to justice. This has never happened, and he returns each year in the form of an angry rain cloud. In Fort St. Catherine, a ghostly spectre known as George is regularly seen and heard in the lower chambers. The most common report is a spooky disembodied chanting that is heard throughout the building. And there is also the ghost of Hugh Gray, a hotelier who met his grisly end in the 1920s when he was found at the bottom of a staircase in his house. Local rumour is that he was murdered and his ghost is still spotted wandering the beaches to this day. But in 1977, the magazine The Bermudian ran a story about haunted houses in Bermuda. The Winton is a beautiful manor house situated right on the seafront and was considered a house to be much coveted. Well, from the outside anyway. Because on the inside resides the restless spirit of Miss Kitty Love Dill. Kitty Love has been responsible for driving many people out of their home over the years and was even credited with tormenting a resident so much that she had a nervous breakdown and fled Bermuda. In December 1963, Mrs. Mac Musson moved into the Winton house, only to move out again 11 months later. From the moment she moved in, Mrs. Musson knew that something was wrong. She had no interest or belief in the paranormal, but became increasingly bewildered when parts of the house would be plunged into an icy coldness that she couldn't explain naturally. She searched for drafts or crevices that could explain why this would happen, but to no avail. People in the town would ask her if she had moved into the Winton house and would give her knowing looks and asked if she had seen anything. Eventually, she plucked up the courage to ask what they meant and the stories came pouring in. Someone had seen lights drifting up and down the stairs, people had heard footsteps, and a woman, the ghost of Kitty Love, had been seen gliding through the dining room. At the sound of the last one, Mrs. Musson shuddered. It was the dining room that was most often plunged into a sudden and inexplicable cold. She decided to keep the reports to herself as she did not want to scare her children, but her children were already scared. Her 14-year-old son was awoken in the night by someone tapping on his shoulder. 
Confused, he sat up to see the misty shadow of a woman standing in his doorway, which slowly disappeared as he watched. Her daughter awoke one night, unsure of what had awoken her, but certain that something was wrong. She looked around the room and saw nothing, but still had a strong sensation of being watched. Something told her to look up, and terrified, she raised her head to the ceiling. Above her, nestled in the rafters, was a woman watching her. She screamed and dashed to the light, but the woman was gone. The family would hear tapping on the walls at night time and the rustle of a taffeta dress would be heard swishing down the hallway. The dogs would bark and whine when the activity would start and one night Mrs Musson found the closet doors in the hallway had been tampered with so that only one could now close. This would have required actual alterations to the carpentry of the doors and no explanation was ever found. Objects would disappear around the house and initially Mrs Musson blamed herself, a combination of carelessness and forgetfulness. But her thoughts began to change when she searched high and low for a missing diamond watch, one that was of great importance to her and one that she would never be careless with. She found it, locked in a pin box that was rarely used. One day Mrs Musson was expecting a call from a friend of hers, a nun named Sister Jeanne de Chantal. The phone rang and Mrs Musson's daughter answered. There was nothing but static on the other end of the line, so she hung up. The phone rang again and this time it was Sister Jeanne. She was panicked and almost breathless. She said that she had rung previously and an unknown woman had answered the phone. She assumed that she had dialed the wrong number, so asked, Is this Winton? The woman had replied that it was, but no one would be coming to the phone, and hung up. When she called again, the familiar voice of Mrs Musson's daughter answered. Mrs Musson did not want her children to be scared, so she decided that they needed to leave. When all of the furniture had been removed, she returned to clean the house one last time and was followed from room to room by a set of footsteps. It wasn't an echo. So who is Kitty Love Dill? Kitty Love Dill was a remarkable woman who lived in the Winton house about 200 years prior to Mrs Musson. It would seem that Kitty had some sort of a gift when she was alive. She had married a sea captain, Captain Thomas Dill, and together they had a son who had followed in his father's footsteps and also become a sea captain. One night she awoke to see her son standing clearly before her in her bedroom. He was soaked to the skin in his captain's uniform and stood in front of her with water dripping from his hair. But her son wasn't at home. He was away at sea. That night he was drowned after his ship went down. Kitty wouldn't know until days later. One of Kitty's daughters married a sailor and gave birth to a beautiful baby boy. At the time of the birth, Kitty's son-in-law was away at sea. They were having a party to celebrate the arrival of the baby when Kitty went to fetch something from another room and there stood her son-in-law, soaked to the bone in the middle of the room. He or his vessel were never seen again. Mm, So is that linked to the Bermuda Triangle then? 
Maybe. Do, 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 Maybe do, 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 vessels going. Do, I mean, there's been countless vessels that have gone down over the centuries. So who knows? Yeah, I mean, just in the sea in general, isn't it? Yes. I also love the name Kitty Love. Kitty like, Love is an amazing. That sounds like the front woman of a 70s rock band. Yes. Yes. Kitty a a love. punk band. Yes, most definitely. Um, is it because it sounds so similar to Courtney Love? Is that why we're both like, it sounds like a band? Maybe, probably. Yeah. Got some very stereotypical haunting things going on in this house. We've got a woman moving, a ghostly woman moving through a, an area of the house. That seems very common. Obviously, we know who this woman is. You've got the rustling, the footsteps, the various other things. And then you've got someone watching from the rafters, which that's is the, terrifying. That's a bit of the story that made my hair stand on end. Can you imagine waking up and looking up and there's somebody on your ceiling looking down at you? I'd shit myself. That is like some serious Bloomhouse stuff going on there. Yeah, that's not that's that's some creepiness in the highest of creepies. But I guess if you can float, I'd be tempted to hide up higher. Wouldn't you? Or maybe it was an American Beauty-esque moment. That's the film with the roses <laughs> on the ceiling, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, so maybe it was that kind of moment either. Yeah, maybe. I just... I. That was the one bit that really stood out to me, I think, was this idea that the ghost was up in the rafters. We hear things of, you know, black masses and, like, creatures being on the ceiling. But yeah. But we rarely hear a ghostly woman up there looking down i mean you'd shit yourself though wouldn't you yeah it's very scary it's a very scary thing to contemplate i think and again it's that it's that not quite normal thing isn't it because you don't you know if you saw a real person up in your rafters you'd be very freaked out as well there's also you know at the beginning of constantine there's a, a girl who's like in the corner of the ceiling mm. and constantine comes to visit her that's very scary. I disliked yeah. that that opening bit of that film, actually, now that I think of it. So, yes, I would be very alarmed if there was a woman mm. on the ceiling peeping down at you through the rafters. Fuck that. Yeah, and the story of the wet sun is pretty creepy as well. Yeah, but what an incredible... Well, I mean, what an awful gift, though, as well, because it said in the story that when she saw the sun and she saw him stood, like, with his hair dripping and whatever, she immediately knew that he was dead. She just was like, I know he's dead. Which is awful. I mean, it's not a gift that you'd want to have, is it? No, no, most definitely not. No, it really isn't. No, I'm I'm always out, outspoken about the fact that I'm very keen that, or very pleased that my um, ability to feel the spirit 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 world is low <laughs> because I wouldn't be able to handle any like no. It just wouldn't be very. It wouldn't be a very nice way to live, would it? I mean, I don't. I don't know how long I would live having a slightly <laughs> dodgy heart and being scared of everything. I think probably any amping up of the void, touching the void or whatever it's called, would be not a good move. No, definitely not. I'd be joining the void very quickly, I'd imagine. If you enjoyed this week's episode, you can find out everything that you need to know about us on reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com. You can submit your own spooky story to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget that you have one more week to be able to donate to Ulemu. If you don't know what in the world I'm talking about, please go back and listen to the first three minutes of episode 120 and you'll figure it all out. The link will be in the description of this episode. If you would like to support us in another way, you can do so on Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content. We have a YouTube channel, the link to which will be in the description for this episode too. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye. Bye.